Tonight on Huckabee, former NATO commander Philip Breedlove, the king of clean comedy, Jeff Allen, award-winning political scientist, Dr. Carol Swain, Rachel Hale shares a song and a savory recipe. That's Trey Corley at the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Have a very lively audience here tonight in the theater. We're so very grateful for them and for you to join us. Now, do you know how political opponents to those in power are dealt with in third world dictatorships, banana republics, and communist regimes? Well, it's simple. The people in power use their police agencies to arrest their opponents for made-up crimes in an attempt to discredit them, bankrupt them, imprison them, exile them, are all of the above. And if you're not paying attention, you may not realize that Joe Biden is using exactly those tactics to make sure that Donald Trump is not his opponent in 2024. Now, folks, this kind of thuggery at taxpayer expense isn't supposed to happen in the United States. No, we're supposed to be a nation of laws and not a nation of powerful people. But the Biden administration is in full meltdown mode to hide the money laundering, influence peddling, and outright bribery that Joe, his son Hunter, and their associates have been conducting for well over a decade that has enriched them to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. It's been exposed by numerous sources ranging from former business associates who knew firsthand of the corruption, as well as government whistleblowers who came forward after witnessing the so-called Justice Department, the IRS, the FBI, and the Attorney General himself, all conspiring to hide the Biden family crimes, while all the time being obsessed with charging Donald Trump with crimes that even liberal, Democrat, and never-Trumper constitutional scholars such as Alan Dershowitz and Jonathan Turley assert are not even crimes at all. In fact, they and other objective legal scholars are appalled by the attempt to smear Trump at any cost while seeing members of the Biden team feverishly try to destroy Trump in the courthouse rather than at the ballot box. Here's the problem. If these tactics end up working to keep Trump from winning or even running in 2024, it is going to be the last American election that will be decided by ballots rather than bullets. I know that there are a dozen or so other Republican candidates wanting to be the GOP nominee next year, and most of them were on the stage last week to audition for the job. But if you watched what was more a game show than a substantive debate, you realize that none of them have the gravitas of Donald Trump, and none could be as likely as tough in staring down the enemy and moving this country forward with America First policies that will just once and for all finally restore our energy independence, secure our borders, stop the runaway inflation that Joe Biden has inflicted upon us, and stand up forcefully and effectively to foreign enemies rather than making dirty money by taking bribes and then not even paying taxes on it. You don't get to make 
illegal money dealing with China, Russia, Ukraine, and then hide that income from the government. This is an administration that wants to hire 87,000 IRS agencies to come after you, but then ignore that the president and his crooked drug-addicted son are making millions off the worst and most dangerous countries on the planet and neither reporting it or paying their fair share of taxes on it. You've heard that expression. Well, here's something that won't surprise you. The media is in on it as well. They're willing and complicit partners in crime by lying about Donald Trump and simultaneously hiding Joe Biden from any accountability for his using the office of vice president as his personal business account and transportation company to jet him and family members all over the globe to collect checks from foreign government-tied businesses. We hope and pray that as the unmistakable facts continue to dribble out about the corruption, the equally corrupt media might finally grow a backbone and a brain, and that even some Democrat lawmakers will have all they can stomach of this disgusting abuse of power. If these things didn't affect you, maybe you could afford to keep quiet. But it is affecting you. Due to Bidenomics, which is high inflation and reduced wages, the average American is losing $700 per month from what they had before Joe Biden entered the White House. $700 a month in lost purchasing power. Folks, add that up. That's $8,400 per year that you've lost. I'm pretty sure that you could use $8,400 this year that the government has taken from you in their incompetent mismanagement of the economy. Next year, hey, you can do something about it. You can vote these folks out of office and you can make noise about what they're doing to our country. Or it's your choice. You can stay silent, sleep through it, and kiss your money and your country goodbye. I prefer to stand up, speak up, and vote out every politician from either party who refuses to uphold the Constitution, serve the people fairly and evenly, and who seeks to profit from foreign, dirty money. General Philip Breedlove is a retired, highly decorated four-star U.S. Air Force general. He served as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO as Ukraine's summer counter-offense continues against Putin's forces. What should America's involvement be, and how long will this conflict drag on? I want you to welcome to our show in Nashville a dear friend of mine, General Philip Breedlove. General, it's great having you here. Maybe I should tell the audience that you and I are friends and we have actually worked together in the church parking lot in Florida, parking cars when I was living down there. And I often wondered how many young airmen who were at Eglin or Tyndall Air Base would drive into the church parking lot and see a four-star general, retired Supreme Commander of NATO, directing traffic in the church parking lot and wonder, is that what happens when generals retire? It was a great job and great people. <laughs> well, it was. But to get into the serious business, uh, we're very involved in Ukraine. It's, it's been divisive. And some people say we shouldn't be involved at all. Others say we should be involved a whole lot more. And then I, I think there's another position that says we can't afford to ignore it. Um, but we have to manage it 
and make sure that other allies are also going to participate. Let me ask the, the obvious question. Is it important that we engage in Ukraine and why? So it's a great question. And, and in fact, I don't think that our government has truly uh, let men and women like us know yeah. uh, in general why Ukraine. Um, and most people think of Ukraine as this backwater place with people that aren't very uh, sophisticated. But in fact, Ukraine is an amazing country. You saw how the grain, stopping the grain flow, immediately impacted the world. They bring more grain to that part of the world than we or anyone else. Uh, very few P Americans understand that for decades, every American space shot flew into space on a Ukrainian rocket motor. Hmm. And we're just now learning to replace the kind of capability they gave us. And, and just one more example, um, and it's pertinent because of what China's trying to do right now. Um, very few countries in the world can build aircraft engines like we and a couple of places in Europe. Well, probably the third or fourth best country at building aircraft engines is Ukraine and a company called MotorSeach. Hmm. And China's desperately trying to buy that because neither China nor Russia can build good aircraft engines. A lot of people certainly worry that if Putin is able to succeed at taking over pieces of or all of Ukraine, he doesn't stop and say, well, that's, that's all I wanted. And it's just the precursor to what else he does want. Now, you were in a position few people have ever been in, and that's Supreme Commander of NATO. So overseeing those 28 allies, the primary focus was to protect us against what was the old Soviet Union, but now the new threat of Russia. Do we have any semblance of thought that Putin would stop if he even got what he wanted in Ukraine? He absolutely will not. He, act, he actually has already told us his plans. You remember, Governor, about eight or nine days before the war started, uh, Mr. Putin gave us two documents to sign. He called them treaties. We called them documents. And we refused to sign them. And when we refused to sign them, he said, there will be other means. We mm -hmm. know what that means now. Eight days later or so, he invaded Ukraine. But in those documents, he outlines his plan to rearrange the security architecture of all of Eastern Europe. I think it would also be fair to say that he probably did not anticipate the reaction that he would get from Ukraine and the rest of the world. Maybe he thought he would just waltz in and uh, take it in 30 days. It has not gone well for him. It has not. In fact, it was about four days he thought it would take. Uh, we don't know the exact number, but we know that thousands of Russian troops came across the border without their fighting gear in their backpack. They had their dress uniforms in their backpack because they were told to expect to have a parade about four days after this war wow. would start. And so Mr. Putin grossly underestimated the will of the Ukrainian people. The U.S. is heavily involved. We've sent billions of dollars of aid. A lot of Americans say, wait a minute, we don't even secure our own border. How come we're securing the Ukrainian border? How do you respond to that? It seems a fair criticism. It is. Uh, I'm one of those that is always saying, why don't we secure our border? I yeah. believe in a strong border. And in, in fact, I believe there are a lot of nefarious people. And I'm not talking about drug people. I'm talking about terrorist type people from all over the world 
that are coming across that border. And I believe that we should secure that border. Well, there's a lot more for us to get into, and we're going to do that with General Philip Breedlove. So stay where you are. We will be right back with more. Still ahead, Rachel Hale prepares a savory picnic recipe. And later, the legendary comedian Jeff Allen takes to the stage. That's all tonight on Huckabee. TV and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. And welcome back. We're visiting with General Philip Breedlove. He is the former Supreme Commander of NATO, which means he oversaw that alliance of 28 nations. The Ukrainians would love to be part of NATO. One of the issues, if they were, was that an attack upon any NATO nation is like an attack of the United States, and then we are obligated contractually to step in. Should Americans want NATO to expand and add Ukraine or not? That's a really tough question. So it's not going to happen as long as there are Russians in Ukraine. So uh, the way that NATO has worked this for decades is if a nation has an ongoing dispute, they're not going to bring them aboard because then we would have to respond. And so in order to even consider the thought of Ukraine coming into NATO, um, first we have to solve the problem of Russians on Ukrainian soil. So nothing's going to happen in the short term. This is going to work out over time. Can Ukraine win this? Yes, absolutely they can. Because I've heard some people say, you know, it doesn't matter how long it goes on. Ultimately, Putin is going to prevail. But you think there's a chance Ukraine could withstand? Do they need more support from the European nations that have been a little bit timid, maybe with the exception of Poland? They, they do need more help from the uh, European nations and, frankly, I believe, from us. Not so much more, but a different kind of help. And, and uh, what kind? What, what would you suggest? So, so we have said to them more than once, we're going to give you everything you need. And uh, occasionally we say, we're going to be there as long as it takes. Neither of those are a complete sentence to a military planner. <laughs> you have to say, we're going to be there as long as it takes to do what? Mm. Or we're going to give yeah. you everything you need to do what? The to do what is everything as far as planning. And we have not stepped out and said that. Um, and so the first thing we really need to do with Ukraine is set policy that everybody can understand, declaratory yeah. policy. We're going to do this. Then uh, we always say to them, we're going to give you everything you need. Well, I would just argue this, Governor, that um, if the United States was in Ukraine fighting this war, just an if question, we would have air superiority. Do you know when the last time an American soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine died to fixed-wing attack by the enemy? Don't know that I do. April 1953. 53? In the Korean Korea. War. We have wow. given our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines air at minimum battlefield air superiority since that time. Wow. And we are not giving Ukraine battlefield air superiority. Now, they've not asked for our soldiers to have 
American boots on the ground. They've not asked for us to provide pilots to fly. Right. What they have asked for is the equipment and the ammunition. That's correct. And, and a lot of people say, well, why? And uh, most people don't understand. If you go back to uh, 1994, in the Budapest Memorandum, the United States, Great Britain, Ukraine, and Russia agreed that if Ukraine would disarm itself to include giving over all of its nuclear weapons to Russia, that the four of us would guarantee their sovereignty and their territorial integrity. Hmm. Grade our paper. Yeah. That, I think, is an important point. There's a lot on the line. It's also on the line, and I, I think this is an important thing for Americans to understand. China would love to see Putin win this. They would love to see Putin advance and start taking territory because it would be good for them. Explain why. So what I saw a really good question asked the other night in the debate, and the question was along the line of where does our policy for Taiwan come from? What is our policy? And they were talking about whether it should be, you know, ambiguous as it has been in the past or not. And the answer that was given, I thought, was wonderful. And that is our Taiwan policy, our China policy, is being written in Ukraine right now. Hmm. If we allow uh, uh, a, I call him a kleptocrat, some call him an autocrat, if we allow this autocratic leader to invade his neighbors and then threaten us with nukes and we back down every time, uh, we're going to end up with a really interesting situation. I can assure you that if we reward bad behavior like we did in 08, we reward bad behavior like we did in 14, and now we reward bad behavior again in 23 and 24, we're not going to get good behavior. We're going to get more bad behavior. What you have said tonight may be the most insightful and easy to understand uh, synopsis of what many Americans have struggled with as to, is it good for us to be there, bad for us to be there, yes, no. And I think we all owe you a debt of gratitude for making this understandable to us. And uh, the fact that you come from the inside of understanding it has been extremely valuable. General, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Governor. Now, for our audience, you can learn more about General Breedlove if you head over to our website, Huckabee.tv. We will connect you to uh, what he's up to and some of his writings and appearances. But right now, I'll tell you who we're going to connect you to, Keith Milbury. He will tell you what's coming up on the rest of the show. Keith? Well, up next, Rachel Hale shows a mouth-watering recipe. Then later, Dr. Carol Swain discusses the Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. We'll be right back. and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. I am getting these gloves on because the audience wanted me to wear them in case I touch them. No, I'm kidding. That's really not the case. I've got too many fingers in one of the things. Here we go. Now we got it. 
Because tonight's musical guest, Rachel Hale, is with us, and she is from Prescott, Arkansas, which is just 15 miles from my hometown of Hope. So immediately, I liked her. She's also an American Idol finalist who worked with top country and gospel stars. She's got a new single called A Man, and it's really catchy. It's absolutely fantastic. But we're going to get to all that later because she also has a social media cooking series called Hale's Kitchen. How you like that? Rachel Hale, Hale's Kitchen. So I told her, Rachel, if you come on the show, you got to do some cooking and some country singing. So please welcome Rachel Hale. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, this is quite the combination. Cooking, music. Yes. But we're going to do the cooking part here, and yep. you've already won me over. You got bacon in front Everything of me. Everything is better with bacon. Absolutely. Really amen. Amen. All the Southern people are saying amen, amen. and the people from California are saying, why do they eat bacon? Ooh. Actually, it's so funny. Bacon is paleo, and that is what Hell's Kitchen is. It's a mm. paleo diet. Oh, yeah. I ate a paleo diet. And so during the pandemic, I started this cooking series because I was stuck at home. I couldn't leave. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll start sharing recipes for all my followers. Paleo is basically high protein, right? Yeah, lots of protein. Meat eater diet. A lot of meat. Nice stuff. I like that. Yeah. So what are we making? So I thought we'd do a really fun um, recipe that is on my social media. You can go check it on YouTube, Instagram. and uh, But this is great for Labor Day weekend because it's upon us. So we're going to make a bacon-wrapped date that's stuffed with chorizo. Oh. That's not nice. You gonna help me? Yeah. All right, so this is what's great. Okay. So this chorizo has already been cooked. All right. All of you out there, all you need is chorizo and a skillet, medium high heat. You're gonna wanna cook it for about five to six minutes. You're gonna see it bubbling. It's gonna get into some really nice little chunks like this. Then you're gonna want some pitted dates. Y'all, this is the easiest recipe. It's three things, no extra seasoning, no extra paprika, all that stuff. And then um, we've got bacon, we've got it cut in half right okay. here. So yeah, so grab you a date. All right. All right. Hadn't had a date in years. Oh no. Okay. So you're going to want to make sure they've been hollowed out. I've already done a pretty good job. Now, this, okay. is, this is just a, a wood skewer that we had on, on hand, but you can actually, you can use anything you want, but okay. this is just something that a lot of people have just around the house, but, um, and just hollow it out like that. Oh, it's nice save. Yeah, doing. and then you're going to stick some, this is so easy, y'all, stick some chorizo in there. Do y'all like chorizo? Do y'all like dates? Oh, yeah. like bacon? You do? Okay, good. Well, you're going to love these. Now, you can use a spoon, or you can, if you have gloves on, use your gloves, you know, you can just stuff them. Oh. However you want to do it. It's so easy. That's pretty good. See, I was wondering where the chorizo was going to go, but now I see it's going to go down in there. And you're going to want to make sure you preheat that oven to 425 degrees. 425. Yeah. And you're going to want some toothpicks on hand. Okay. Y'all having fun? I think I'm getting that down in there pretty good. All right. I think I figured now just take a piece. Okay, now we're just going to roll it up. Just get it. It's like a free roll up, but it's a bacon. You know, just roll it on up. Gloves are big. I'm having a hard time with them. Let me get, there we go. Okay. Roll that little dude up. And this is up. such a fun thing to do with your kids. You know, if you want to have, you know, um, there are a lot of parents who are trying to eat their T-shirt. Oh, it's perfect. And stick a toothpick in it. She acts surprised. You did a great job. At my culinary great. skills here. But this is great for Labor Day because it's easy. That but, is easy. And a kid, you know, your kid can do it. So it's fun when you're cooking with kids. And here's another way to do it, too. You just stick it on there if you want to. Get real lazy. Oh, that's an easier way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But that's okay. And then. Because you've done this up. before. Yeah couple times <laughs> there you go now we actually met at the state capitol yes when i was governor and you were a young lady i think we have a picture of that there i am look at that young fellow with dark hair 
And that beautiful young lady who's taller now than me. Yeah. So that was when I was preaching in America, and I actually got to meet you at the, at the state capitol, which is such a such a gift. It was so cool to get to go there and, and meet you at the time. So. And who knew we would be cooking bacon-wrapped dates one day in really Nashville? Wild. It's really wild. But it's been a this Hale's Kitchen thing has been it's been a fun thing because I've gotten to meet so many people through it, you know. And that that's what's fun. If you check this out, we put um, all this together before yep. you know before we run out of time. I want to tell everybody your music is fantastic, and you've written the songs that are just really getting a lot of attention. Thank you, yes, thank you. The one of them is called Promised Land. Yes. We're gonna do that for the show here yep. in a little while. Yep. So you combine gospel and country. Obviously your faith is a very important part of what you yep. write and what you sing. Yeah, oh, when I was a little girl, I felt like God told me I would sing for him and bring mm. people to Christ through music. And that has been the North Star that has guard, like guided my life. And Promised Land, that song that I'm yeah. gonna sing in just a little bit, it is about that. It's, you know, about going towards the promises that God has spoken over your life, no matter what, no matter what, not giving up. And, and that's what it's about. So, it's a beautiful yeah. song. You know, uh, your talents have taken you to the finals of American Idol, yeah, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah. And then it has brought you here. So we get to try the yes, finished product, eat it, right? right? I would love it. Okay. You like it. So I'm going to take one of these. I may take more than one, but I'm going to take one. If they're good, I'm going to even let Keith and Trey have one. Mmm. Mmm. It's good, isn't it? It's got it a little good. kick, got a little spice because of the chorizo. That's what makes it wonderful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And this got a little sweet and a little salty because of the bacon. Oh, and to tell y'all, 425 for 20 minutes. So, you know, at 10 minutes in, though, halfway, you're going to want to turn them so the bacon doesn't burn. You know, you got to evenly cooked. I've got a mouthful of yeah, bacon wrap. It's bait. a chewy bite. So maybe I should do the talking. I don't know if I know. Maybe. <laughs> but I can tell you this, if you love delicious recipes... <laughs> Follow Rachel on all her social media pages to watch Hale's Kitchen. Yeah. We're going to have links at Huckabee.tv with the recipe and all this good stuff. And she's going to be back later to sing for us, and you do not want to miss it. Right now, Keith Bilbrey may or may not get a date, but he will get to tell you what treat we have coming up next. Oh, take another bite and say that again. Well, it doesn't end there. Later tonight, Rachel Hale is back with a stunning musical performance. And up next, political scientist and legal scholar, Dr. Carol Swain joins Mike at the desk. You're watching Huckabee. Our prayers go out to the victims affected by Hurricane Adalia. Samaritan's Purse continues to reach to those who are desperate in need with food, shelter, medicine, and of course, the gospel of Christ. And they do it all because of your financial gifts and your prayers. If you haven't yet, I hope you'll consider joining the mission of Samaritan's Purse and help heal, restore, and bring hope to those who need it the most. All in Jesus' name. You can visit the Samaritan's Purse website or you can call them today. Thanks and God bless. Well, our next guest is a renowned political scientist, acclaimed author, and a tireless advocate for constructive political dialogue, as well as for diversity of thought. She's been a professor of political science and law at both Princeton and Vanderbilt universities. She's received three presidential appointments. She's got a brand new book and it takes on academia. Somebody needs to and the agenda of the so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. I want you to welcome back to the show one of our favorites and the author of The Adversity of Diversity, Dr. Carol Swain. Thanks. Dr. Swain, welcome back. 
I love the title of the book, The Adversity of Diversity, because there are people who think that the major goal in America is just making sure that every list we have, everything is all about diversity. Well, they've changed the meaning of the word diversity. And this book, The Adversity of Diversity, it argues that the Supreme Court decision striking down race-based college admissions also dooms every DEI program in the workplace because they violate the Constitution and the civil rights laws in the same way. And we're finding that more and more people, white people, Asians, men, are filing lawsuits and winning those lawsuits like the woman that won a $25 million judgment against Starbucks, the white woman that won a racial discrimination case. So the book is really about the conundrum that DEI programs pose for the corporate world as well as the educational system. I know that the critics of uh, this Supreme Court decision, the people who still think we ought to have very active uh, DEI and or affirmative action programs say, yeah, but Dr. Swain, if it hadn't been for affirmative action, would you have gotten where you are? How do you respond to those critics? I grew up in a, an affirmative action infused world. I was born in 54. That was the beginning of the civil rights movement. Uh, I was 10 years old when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, passed. I benefited from non-discrimination, equal opportunity, outreach, and recruitment of talented minorities. And when I started my education, I started at a community college. They admitted anyone who wanted to go to the community college. And I made the dean's list a couple of times. Then I transferred to a four-year college. I gra graduated magna cum laude at the four-year college. And so I always worked very hard. And in 1983, when I was a senior at Roanoke College, I wrote my senior thesis on affirmative action I was critical of the program back then, and I quote myself in the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an authoritative quote for sure. What you just said is very powerful because if a person has achieved what you have achieved, to be a professor at Princeton and Vanderbilt, two of the most prestigious academic institutions, and somebody says, yeah, but they needed a, a female black person. That's an insult to you but rather than to is. say... She's got there because she's smart and she's good and she deserved it. Well, unfortunately, if you are black, Hispanic, or female, because of affirmative action, people can always say that anything you accomplish had to be because of affirmative action. So I've learned not to respond. And I can't change the fact that I had this black face. And so <laughs> if I showed up with my black face and someone decided to advantage me because they saw me as being hardworking and uh, worthy of their favor... And I can tell you, I've benefited from a lot of favor because there have been people that uh, they liked what they saw in me. And so uh, I'm sure I benefited from being a pleasant person. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Carol. You know, you and I have been friends for a long time. <laughs> I, I want to get to this heart of DEI. So many big multinational corporations have put a bigger focus on diversity, equity, inclusion than they have on making good products and having a good service record. They've been forced into that, especially by the ESG, environmental uh, 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 social governance policies that uh, rate corporations based on diversity. And the diversity that they're pushing is not the same diversity as when you're trying to recruit uh, underrepresented people into your workplace 
to have an integrated uh, workforce or student body. They are about groups, not individuals. Mm. And they want people to identify as groups and they set up affinity groups within the workplace or the schools where people are encouraged to really congregate with their group and they lose sight of the mission. And part of the goal of the adversity of diversity is to help corporations and organizations get back to their original mission because they're so focused on social engineering. Uh, DEI is very divisive. It comes out of cultural Marxism, which is conflict theory. Mm. How can you bring about reconciliation through conflict theory? You cannot do that. And I think corporations are looking for an off-ramp. I believe my book provides an off-ramp. And I believe that we can have diversity without discrimination. You cannot address uh, uh, discrimination by discriminating. And I have confidence that if people would get out of the way and allow individuals to be the best that they can be, you're going to have diversity because there was diversity before some of these programs were put in. And fortunately, we do have civil rights laws that protect all groups. All persons are protected by the Civil Rights Act. I hope people, especially CEOs, business managers, and people who have to make tough HR decisions will get a copy of Dr. Swain's brand new book. It is available now. We have the links at our website, Huckabee.tv, plus links to follow Dr. Carol Swain on social media. Now, looking ahead to next week, we're going to pay tribute to the anniversary of 9-11. Keith Bilbrey is going to tell us a little more about that plan. Well, next week, 9-11 first responder Eric Robertson will tell his story and talk about his special memorial. Also, Daryl Worley will sing his new follow-up song to his classic anthem, Have You Forgotten? It's all on Huckabee. break, all of us here in the theater were enjoying some of the best music in America provided for us by our very own Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Would you give them a big hand? Well, as you know, it's a holiday weekend, and I bet folks are planning their next getaway. I think it's time to fill up the old RV and hit the road. And Keith Bilbrey has a map, and he's found a beautiful place you might say is monumental. Keith, where are we going? Tucked away in the breathtaking Black Hills of South Dakota is a wonderful place of monumental proportions. We're visiting the town of Keystone. Founded in the 1800s, Keystone served as a mining camp until 1927. That's when construction on a now iconic national landmark began. Yep, you guessed it, Mount Rushmore. Now, at this point, Keystone was really on the map. Folks flocked to the Keystone area to work on the project, headed up by famous sculptor Gutson Borglum. It took over 14 years for 400 workers to move 450,000 tons of rock to complete the project. My back hurts just talking about it. 
Now, today, Mount Rushmore is one of the most popular patriotic sites in these United States, with over 2 million visitors a year who want to learn all about our national heritage. Now, this is where Keystone is key. Get it? Serving as the official town of Mount Rushmore, Keystone has lots to offer visitors, of course. Exceptional lodging, restaurants, museums, and all sorts of attractions, like the National Presidential Wax Museum that greets visitors every year. In addition, there's a beautiful Custer State Park, the enormous Crazy Horse Memorial, as well as the Black Hills National Forest. Now, with all these great parks, you will experience the best in outdoor recreation, hands down. And oh, do you remember Laura Ingalls Wilder of Little House on the Prairie frame? Well, her family settled in Keystone and Sister Carrie managed the local newspaper. With such a fantastic symbol of the American dream in your backyard, it's one of the best places in the nation to enjoy Independence Day. The whole town comes together to celebrate and a grand finale at Mount Rushmore would have Francis Scott Key so awestruck You'd have to write a song about it. This town is American as baseball, hot dogs, and apple pie, and should be on any true red, white, and blue American's bucket list. And that's why Keystone, South Dakota is our kind of town. Wonderful pick, Keith. Mount Rushmore is a true marvel, and every red-blooded American should see it with their own eyes. We want to say special thanks to the South Dakota Video Tours, Keystone Chamber of Commerce, and the South Dakota Department of Tourism. If you'd like more information about your own South Dakota adventure, contact TravelSouthDakota.com. They'll fix you right up. Well, speaking of red-blooded Americans... I'm always happy when Jeff Allen visits our show. You know him from his many TV appearances, including three hit dry bar comedy specials. He's a frequent guest on my trips to Israel. He'll be joining me on our steps of Paul Cruz in the Mediterranean this fall. He's currently on tour all over America on his Are We There Yet tour, and it's based on his new book called What Else? Are We There Yet? He made it here. I want you to give a big welcome to my friend Jeff Allen. All right. Yeah, over the summer, my wife and I celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary. Thank you. And I have figured out after 37 years, every conversation we have now turns into a game of charades. It's a constant guessing game anymore. We can't remember anything. We'll be driving along and she'll say something like, I saw that guy you worked with in New York on TV the other day. I'll go, which guy? She'll go, you know, that guy. No, I don't, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> the guy, you worked with him in New York. Was that a uh, city? No, Buffalo? No, Rochester? No, Syracuse? No, well, those are the only places I work in New York. Well, maybe it wasn't New York, Jeff, I don't know. I said, what do he look like? She said, a white guy. Well, that narrows it down. <laughs> was he tall, short? She goes, well, about your height. Six foot, six one? No, he wasn't that tall. Then he's not my height. <laughs> this goes on for like five more minutes, and then eventually we just both drift off. There's no conclusion, no ending. I don't even know. We are at the swimming pool last week. She says, I got some shrimp for dinner tonight. Great. And she says, I got that sauce. What sauce? The red stuff with the horseradish. 
and then we start all over again. Neither one of us can remember the name of the sauce. <laughs> 20 minutes later, she yells across the pool, cocktail sauce, you win. <laughs> we lost our minds, I'm blaming it all on COVID, that's all. Blaming everything on COVID. She got mad at me during COVID because I was golfing five days a week. She says, you're gonna bring the COVID home like it's a human being. I said, I'm outside, I'm golfing. She goes, what precautions are you taking? I said, for golf? I don't know, we quit kissing after birdies. Does that work for you? <laughs> Besides, we play woke golf. Woke golf is where you hit your tee shot, then you pick the ball up and place it where you feel it should be. And like everything in the woke world, there's not one root in reality. So I've had 41 hole-in-ones, so. Yeah. I don't get the woke world. Tammy, Tammy follows politics more than I do. I was watching, she calls me into the kitchen the other day to watch some video of Mitch McConnell. And I'm making a sandwich, and Mitch is talking. All of a sudden, he's not talking. And I look at her and go, is it buffering? She goes, no, he's just staring at the camera. I walk over, I go, holy cow, retire. I think it's time to go. Are you kidding me? These guys are falling down. We got politicians just falling down. Biden's falling down. McConnell's falling down. This is what happens when you get your spine made in China. It's a joke, don't email me. <laughs> I get emails from people. I got a woman, I did that joke in South Carolina and a woman was so upset with me. She sends me a page and a half email. Starts out, you gotta quit picking on our president. He's just trying to save the free world. <laughs> made me laugh too, so. <laughs> you know. Again, I'm a casual observer of the culture, but you know, if you wanna save the free world, I don't know, you could start by not uh, leaving 86 billion in military hardware in the hands of a 12th century worldview, you know? know. Isn't, that, isn't that parenting 101? Parenting 101, hey, before you leave the house, pick up your toys. So I wrote her back a short little reply. I said, I see you're upset. I, you know, I don't want to upset you. I have one question for you. You don't even have to reply to me. Just answer this question honestly for yourself. If you owned a Starbucks, would you let Joe Biden run your register? <laughs> You'd let him greet at the door. He's an affable guy, right? You'd let him uh, greet your customers because he's a great storyteller, right? He would regale them with stories how years ago, he, Joe Biden, was raised in the Colombian forest by Juan Valdez himself. And he picked those beans they're roasting right now for your cup of coffee. You'd be so impressed. You'd say, thanks, Joe. I just had a cup of Joe with Joe. How do I tip you, Joe? Well, you can tip me at Venmo, 10% for the big guy, you know? And if, <laughs> and if, you, really, and if you really want to help me out, you can run it through my son Hunter's account. So. Hey, I got one more. I got to tell you this before I go. About three weeks ago, Tammy, at three in the morning, Tammy wakes me up. She wakes, she's going, Jeff Jenna, Jeff Jenna, Jeff Jenna. And I'm waking up, going, what, what about him? She says, that's the guy you worked with in New York. I couldn't remember his name. 
You guys have been great. Thank you. Uh, hey, for somebody that says he doesn't observe much of the culture, you nailed it totally tonight. Hey, this new book, I love the title, Are We There Yet? Yes. That title, we've all heard that expression, right. but for you, it's deeper than that. It's a lot deeper. It's a job. When I got into recovery, and um, uh, it, you begin a journey of recovery, and it's like you're a child. You're just in the back seat of a car, and you don't mm. know who's driving the vehicle. Yeah. You have no clue, and uh, you just kind of, it's almost like your parents leave you at, at the rest area and leave you the keys to the car, and they take <laughs> off, and you got to figure out where you're going to go. It's, you know, it's a powerful story, Jeff, and I've known you a long time, but there are a lot of things I didn't know about your struggles and how God has taken you through some tough, tough times. And it's really a miracle story. Well, I don't know if God did story. it. I, every, I always say everything <laughs> I did was self-inflicted. I, well, the self I was stone cold sober with yeah. all of this. I tell the audiences, if you can get through the first six chapters without killing yourself, it's an uplifting tale. You know? <laughs> but you have the story of how you came through it. Right. And that's what's powerful about it. It's a phenomenal story. Everybody knows you as a funny guy. They don't realize a lot of hurt deep down in there that well, we had did. to get worked on. Well, we did. And um, Tammy, when I gave her the last draft, I said, you need to go through this and be okay with my version of what yeah. I went through. Because this covers the first seven or eight years of our marriage. And um, she, uh, she read the first two chapters and put it down and said, I, I can't read anymore. We were just horrible mm. people. And I said, that's the beauty of the story is if they stick to the end of the story, Paul said, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. We're not those people. Yeah. So we can sit 30 years later, write about them and look at them and go, holy cow. You know, yeah. what, and then it's nice to see what God has brought you through you know, and um, uh, from, it, a, from a bird's eye view of going. It is cow. a beautiful, beautiful story. And I hope that you'll get a copy. Jeff has... Upcoming tour dates all over the country from Fort Wayne to Honolulu. So surely <laughs> somewhere along the way, you can support him on the road and go see him. Also, you can pre-order this new book. Are we there yet? Go to Huckabee.tv. We will connect you how to get the book. Now, no joke at all. Keith Bilbrey is going to tell what we have in store next. Well, don't go away. Christian singer-songwriter Rachel Hale performs right after the break. You do not want to miss it. Well, we'd like to take a moment to thank Christian Voice Magazine for honoring the Huckabee Show with their Gospel Music Fan Award for Best TV Show for five years running. We truly appreciate that, and we'll try to live up to that honor by continuing to bring our viewers the greatest names in gospel music. Now, speaking of great music, our very special guest this evening has a new single out titled Amen, and you can watch her cooking series, Hale's Kitchen, by going to Huckabee.tv. Now, performing Promised Land with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection and Mike on bass, here's Rachel Hale. to be found How long must I wander 
Give me strength to stay. 